This is a Saddleback Church podcast. The epistles, 21 letters making up the middle section of the New Testament between the Gospels and Revelation. These books are the backbone of the church as they chronicle Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jude's interactions and relationships with the budding church after Christ's resurrection. Many of the most said verses of the Bible are found in these books. And today, we are going to help you navigate how to read the epistles. My guest today is Dr. Ken Bairding, a professor of New Testament at Talbot Seminary. And in this conversation, we are talking all things epistles. We'll discuss the basic details of the epistles, the cultural context that's important for us to know as we read the epistles today, what we need to know about Paul and the other authors, tips for how to discern cultural context versus timeless themes, and much more. My name is Jason Whelan, and this is Doable Discipleship, Saddleback Church podcast, part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Now, my conversation with Dr. Ken Bairding. Dr. Ken Bairding, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, it's so glad to be with you today, Jason. (laughs) So today we get to talk about the epistles. We're going to talk about kind of the rest of the New Testament, essentially leading up to Revelation. So we'll have different episodes talking about the Gospels, a different episode talking about Revelation. So here we're talking about pretty much everything in between. So uh, before we dive into the real meat of it, can you kind of set the stage for us as we're talking about these letters, what the epistles are? Can you tell us a little bit just about who the authors are, kind of the time frame that we're talking about, anything that you would say is important basic information for somebody who maybe has never kind of thought about the epistles in their life? Yeah, so after Jesus' death and his resurrection, there were, uh, you know, the the Jesus movement, what they called the way, was starting to spread all over the Roman Empire. And um, as the gospel went out, there was need for letters. And the the earliest letters, you know, James is maybe the earliest letter, written maybe 16, 17 years. It's hard kind of to date it exactly after sure. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And then Paul starts writing letters right around that as well, in the middle of the first century. And he writes all the way up into the middle of the 60s when Nero starts persecuting Christians. So Paul's writing all the way through there. Some of his earliest letters are probably Galatians and the Thessalonian letters. Mm. Uh, As far as Peter, Peter writes two letters, probably one of them toward the end of the 50s, maybe right into 60. And he's also killed during the time of the Neronian persecution like Paul is. Mm. So somewhere, Second Peter, somewhere in the middle of the 60s. Uh, first, second, third John. Yeah. Who knows when those were written, actually. Uh, I'll just be honest. It's very hard <laughs> to tell from inside. But I, I'd probably date them later. Okay. So uh, there's one really important event that happens in the early first century that is just important to know about, even though it's not written directly after the fact. Sure. And that's the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Mm. So probably that's probably the uh, Johannine, or that is the letters of John, uh, are written after 
after that takes place. That's what I would think. Okay. And um, that's most of the letters of the New Testament. Jude, written a little bit before before Peter's letters, because it looks like Second Peter is drawing upon Jude. Mm. But that's that's when they take place. Yeah. Why they're written? Now, that's a whole different <laughs> question. We'll, get to that. well, no. I, so I think that's helpful to set this framework. Is we're talking about almost, you know, it's the near immediate after time from the crucifixion. And, in, yeah. and you're not talking about a large window of time. You're talking like from what we were just talking about, at least for the majority of these letters, you're talking about, you know, 20, 30 years. That's right. So, That's I, right. so that context, the nearness, the proximity to the actual time of Jesus. I think that's important context for people to keep in mind is you're not talking is because we talked about in earlier episodes, how the Bible was written over the span of around 1500 years or whatever. But for this portion we're actually talking about a really short amount of time. Yeah, and even more important when you're thinking about the Gospels, because those are being written within the lifetime of um, you know apostles and yeah. other people, witnesses to the events that took place there. But the letters are also really important in that sense, because Paul, at one point, he actually addresses the question in 1 Corinthians 15 about you know who is around, who is not around. If you don't believe me, go ask these people, because yeah. they're still around. Yeah. No, I think that's so important. And there's one that I know that we didn't quite mention because there's some mystery around it. So can you tell us a little bit about Hebrews? Yeah, Hebrews is probably written also leading up to probably not in the full-fledged part of the Neronian persecution. When I say Neronian persecution, in the mid-60s, Nero starts to really lose his mind. He was a megalomaniac. He's kind of crazy, and he blames the Christians for the fire in Rome, and he starts persecuting them. Mm-hmm. And um, Hebrews, it feels like it's kind of ramping up to that. Um, so I probably at that time, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is for sure. Yeah. But it's somebody who's in the broader apostolic circle, somebody who knows Timothy, mm-hmm. um, somebody who can preach for sure, because it's kind <laughs> of a cross between a letter and a and sermon, sermon. <laughs> and, um, and somebody who knows their Bible really, really well. Yeah. Now, most scholars kind of, you know, have a have their own guess as to who the author is. I'm not going to make you go on the record as to who your guess is, uh, but Thank you. <laughs> but there are a lot of different guesses out there. So I, I I wanted to then so so thank you for setting the detail stage of what it is we're talking about. Yeah. If we could then kind of talk about the cultural context, what is happening in this post resurrection post crucifixion time as you talked about we have this window almost between the post resurrection and then we have have the fall of Jerusalem in this Nero time what is going on in the cultural context that we can that that is important for us to understand as we're reading these epistles oh well wow. there's so much that we could say about the cultural context i think the first thing to to think about though is that jesus told his disciples to go out and preach the gospel. He said to take it to, you know, to the ends of the earth, but they're all hanging around in, in Acts. They're not going out, and it looks like from the way the author of Acts writes writes the narrative that it's finally persecution that drives them out. Mm. So as they're scattered, as they start going out, you know, you've got Christians who are probably down in Egypt, some in Parthia, uh, for sure, lots up in Asia Minor, in, um, in Greece and Macedonia and, and out in Rome. Probably there's believers in Rome from very earliest periods. And so they're connected to each other. 
I mean, it's really hard for us to get a picture of this because we think about the gospel spreading out super fast. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking about thousands, not, you know, multiple, like tens and tens of thousands of people. You know, the gospel is growing, it's going out, but they, they have challenges in these little churches that are being started all over the place. Some of them because of missionary journeys, like Paul goes on a missionary journey along with Barnabas, and then he goes on another one with Silas. Later on in his ministry, I think Timothy probably becomes his main co-worker as he's going out there. But he goes and starts these churches, but there's also other churches that are popping up in North Africa and in Asia Minor and mm-hmm. you know other places like Galatia. But um, And so because of the distances, sometimes letters are really helpful in being able to to help them out. They're writing into um, into a setting where people are polytheists. They don't believe in one God. They believe in multiple gods. But just like their Jewish forebears, Paul and all the other Christians, they believe that there is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In that sense, they are different than their Jewish forebears, but they are Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. But they... Um, they definitely believe in one God, and that over and against the gods that just are on every single street corner. I mean, there are gods of the doors, there are gods of the streets, and not just like the big gods like you might see, I don't know, think the Disney movie Hercules or something like that. <laughs> just try to, try that's to often what I go to. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, being serious. That's, that's often true. what I go to. <laughs> so that's sort of official pagan religion, yeah. but there's also... The folk religious stuff, which is maybe even more important, mm. magical things that are out there. People are afraid of evil spirits. Yeah. So they're they're sometimes tempted to combine their Christian faith with, I don't know, folk religious practices, things that they would do to go to a shaman-like character. And so we see Paul addressing this, for example, in the book of Colossians, mm. where they're mixing their Christian faith with these other practices that they would do to try to protect themselves from their fear of evil spirits, which they really believed in. Because, I mean, let's just be honest, evil spirits are real. Yeah, We just happen to live in a society where we don't think much about those. But they and their society were all very aware of that and afraid of that. So they used all these incantations and went to witch doctorish type of people. They even had little figurines that were almost voodoo doll types of things that they would use against friends. Um, that they they um, sort of relied upon. I developed that a bit in a recent book that I was working on. Mm. Anyway, um, there are these types of things, and Paul is writing into a very different cultural context than we live in right now. And so are Peter and um, the other apostles. Mm-hmm. I guess I should also add that there is persecution yeah. going on, but not consistently in every place at the same level. But James is is addressing that. He says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Peter, for sure, is dealing with persecution. He says, when you suffer for Jesus, you follow in his steps. And Paul talks a lot about this in 2 Corinthians, not to mention in other places like 2 Timothy. Yeah. No, I think think that reminder, I, I, I would think for a lot of people, it can be hard to think of a time where Christianity wasn't 
the thing that it is today. I think we almost take for granted. It's just kind of assumed like, yeah, there's Christianity. It's huge. And it's kind of everywhere. And, th- and we're talking about a time before all that. So you have these, yeah. these, these authors, these writers who are trying to get this word out amongst all of these other varied ways of thought. There weren't all these major religions. There were Greek gods, there were Roman gods and whatnot, but there wasn't like major religions like we think of them today. So it was, everything was kind of this hodgepodge that gets put together of these ways of thinking. As you said, this mystical idea that, yeah, there's, you know, there's something out there, there's these spirits and you try to make the spirits happy by doing good things or you rest or, you know, you get afraid of doing maybe bad things and then the bad spirits come around and kind of it's a lot of times nameless entities that you're just kind of talking about. And so imagine being one of these these apostles who are trying to write these letters to, you know, who, who, who start these churches and then go off to someplace else, get word of stuff that's going on, you know, many, 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 many miles away back at the church they started and be like, oh man, I, I should have thought about that. I need to write them a letter. <laughs> and, that's right. and that's kind of what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. And, and in every one of these uh, situations where they're writing, they're writing not just about general cultural things like we were talking about there, but they're also talking about specific issues that are happening in the church. So in Corinth, for example, there were these people coming in from the outside, and they thought of themselves as real apostles and Paul as not a real apostle. Yeah. In fact, Paul calls them tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> the super apostles. You know, yeah. And um, they are accusing Paul of not being a real apostle because, well, because he's suffering and he doesn't speak well enough and he doesn't receive money, you know, and all sorts of stuff. And he, Paul has to respond to that, especially in 2 Corinthians a bit, in 1 Corinthians also, but especially in 2 Corinthians. Mm. Also in 1 Corinthians, there's a whole bunch of problems taking place there. There's divisions in the church and there's lawsuits and, and a man sleeping with his father's wife and and then, but they also have questions that they've actually asked him too, and he's answering these questions about marriage and singleness, and about meat sacrificed to idols, and spiritual gifts, and about you know the Lord's Supper and the resurrection. So there's there's actual things that he's responding to, and one of the important things about reading letters is to actually try to figure out what's going on in the conversation. Mm. So unlike other parts of the of the Bible. Letters or, or epistles, we can use either word, I think it's fine. Um, they, are, they are conversations, kind of slow-moving conversations mm-hmm. that are going back and forth between Paul uh, and his the people he's writing to, or between Peter, John, mm-hmm. or James, or Jude, yeah. <laughs> uh, who they're writing to. Uh, and by the way, there are seven letters, as you know, in the beginning of Revelation as well. Yes. So those those letters are also situational. But they're responding to actual situations. So in biblical studies, we call that the occasion of a letter. Why was it written? What's the purpose of the, of the letter? Um, so that's something that you actually have to be thinking about as you read the letter. Why was this written? Yeah. What was, say, Paul thinking about? What's going on in the church that he's writing to? And some of those are easier to discern than others, but you need to be thinking about them. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the 
the apostles pursued at this time to reach the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And, yeah. and how, and what do we need to know about that difference as we read through the later new Testament? Right. Well, they definitely wanted to reach both, I think, but they were struggling a little bit early on to figure out, um, how to do this. I think it was in the back of their minds, but I mean, what God had to send out a, a vision to Peter and he ends up going out talking to a, a Roman centurion, um, a Gentile, just to get, get it right into his mind. James looks like he spends all of his ministry in Jerusalem. By the way, when I say James, I don't mean like the Peter James, the James of Peter, James, and John in the yeah. Gospels. I mean, James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, half-brother of Jesus, who was also the leader of the Jerusalem church, head of the Jerusalem council, wrote the book of James, that James. And um, But Paul seems to have realized what this was about much earlier and much more clearly than everybody else. There's even a point, a story that is in Galatians chapter 2, where Peter who's been hanging out with Gentiles in Antioch, he's, he withdraws when some people come down from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Some Jewish people come down, and he stops eating with them. So Paul publicly rebukes Peter. <laughs> really, like, uncomfortable moment in the early church that takes place in Galatians chapter 2, if you want to find out mm -hmm. that story. But Paul seemed to be very clear about the breaking down of the wall between Jews and Gentiles. And he had a special call to the Gentiles, even though he never gave up praying for the Jews, mm -hmm. even though a lot of the persecution he received was at the hands of Jewish leaders. So this is an ongoing thing. There's a pressure in the early church. Can I back up just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, the, the, the thing that they're struggling with the most in the early church, you could probably say, is the difficulty between the relationship between the old and the new. So Jesus has come. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Everything is new, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, <laughs> but God was doing something in the Old Testament too, right? So what does that have to do with us? So the things that they're struggling with the most of the early church are things related to Jewish matters versus Gentile matters. And that just shows up in almost every place. Mm. I mean, do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to keep the Sabbath? Do you have to keep the food laws and celebrate the Jewish festivals? On the other side of things, can you go to, can you eat meat that's first been sacrificed to idols? Because Jewish people are going to be very unhappy with that. Um, but, um, but that, again, it's the same thing about the old and the new. So you see a lot of that struggle going on in the letters. Paul's addressing those things, the other authors as well, they're, they're wrestling with those as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm so happy that you talked about this because, again, it's something that we might take for granted. For us now, we can see this whole context of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can see that bridge if we walk through it of what God is doing through this whole story. But for people living in that time, it's all yep. happening to them in the moment. So they're trying to navigate it and figure it out in real time. As we try yep. to navigate and figure out our own stuff in real time, this is the things that they were doing. So it's, it's important to keep that in mind as you see these people, these very human writers who are trying to process through this together. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, 
you know, we have the theology of knowing that the word of God is inspired by God, but still he's writing through humans. He's writing through people. And so we can see it in real, Mm. see them talking it out. And as you said, even calling each other out in real time. (laughs) Well, even I'll give you another example of this, the book of Romans. Yeah. You know, the most important book of Christian theology ever written in the history of the world. And yet it's situational. It's actually written into a particular situation. Mm. I don't know if, if uh, your listeners have heard this before, but there was a Christian community in Rome before Paul went there. Paul's mm-hmm. not the founder of the church in Rome. And um, and in, in the year, what year was it, 49, I think, A.D., Claudius, who's the emperor, there's a big problem that happens in the Jewish community in Rome. And it might be a problem between Jews who accept Jesus as the Messiah and Jews who don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. So he kicks all the Jews out of Rome. There's this enormous Jewish community in Rome. He kicks them all out of Rome. And we actually see a couple of them showing up in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla, that Paul meets on his second missionary journey. So they're tent makers. Paul hangs out with them. He makes tents with them because he's a tent maker also. And then they do ministry together. And eventually Aquila and Priscilla make their way back to Rome because after Claudius dies, they let all the Jews back. Okay, so why does this matter? The reason it matters is because in between that period, the church in Rome becomes kind of more Gentile-ish than than Jewish. And so when the Jews start to come back, they find a a church that doesn't look the same way as it was when they left, Mm -hmm. maybe five years earlier. And so Paul writes Romans right in the middle of this period when they're all trying to acclimate and figure out how they relate to each other. And that's why there's so many so much mention of Jews and Gentiles yeah. in the book of Romans. And that just helps you to read it better, doesn't it? it? Yes, it does. And that's what this whole conversation is about. So th- thank you for that. I I, yeah. I want to focus in now on Paul. I, I'm grateful that, that I have you on here, who is a Pauline scholar, to talk about this, this man, Paul, that probably everybody has heard of. Everybody who's listening to this has probably heard of Paul. But I want to approach it from... From this, guys, as we're talking about his letters in particular right now, what what can you tell us about Paul that will help readers understand his letters? Oh, wow. Well, I, I love Paul. You get me off on this. Just, <laughs> I'm getting, you're going to have trouble. I know. I'm setting you up it. now so, for a while. <laughs> yeah. The first thing that you need to know about Paul is that he's just, he's uh, like super Christ-centered. I used to have a teacher who called him a Christaholic. Mm. And so he keeps bringing things back to Paul. You're reading along in his letters, and he'll he'll mention something about Jesus, and all of a sudden he'll go off on a digression to just say more about Jesus because <laughs> he's so in love with Christ. His Christ-centeredness impacts kind of everything that he does. Uh, it impacts his way of thinking about worship, impacts the way he thinks about identity, certainly impacts the way that he thinks about mission, and it impacts his theology, too. So everything kind of like hovers around Jesus. And I know that's the Sunday school answer. I get that. But it's really that way in Paul. Now, hes I said earlier, he's really Trinitarian. He focuses on God the Father and the glory of God. Absolutely. He's really into the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit. That's a big deal for him. But he's especially centered on Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but he... Um, he doesn't talk a lot about Jesus's kind of life and Jesus's teaching. Hmm. 
He does sometimes, he makes allusions to it, but he doesn't like spend a lot of time talking about it. He spends most of his time talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus because he's so taken with that. Because mm. Paul had been on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, as he's called in Acts. He's on there, just he's going the wrong direction and he gets knocked off his high horse, if I can put it that <laughs> way. And and he's 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 not expecting it at all and after Jesus saves him on that whole Damascus Road experience, then he is so deeply in love with Christ, he can't get over it. So he wants to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Romans chapter 15, he's writing to the Romans and saying, yeah, I'm going to Jerusalem first, then I'm going to come to you and I need your help so I can get it off to Spain because I want to take the gospel to Spain. Yeah, He's going to all the major... <laughs> centers, uh, metropolitan centers, you know, Antioch and and Corinth and Ephesus and Rome, and then all the way out to Spain. If you plot it on a map, you can see he's got purposes. He's trying to get the gospel where nobody else, mm. where they have never heard the gospel before, where Christ has never been named. He's so taken with Jesus that he wants to get him to the ends of the earth. If you want to understand Paul, you got to start right there. Mm. But there's a lot of other things that you that would be helpful uh, to know about Paul. Here, I'll give you a couple yeah, others. Here's please. one. Go ahead. Yeah, he he he's very team oriented. Some of us have a wrong conception of Paul as being kind of this loner, lone ranger, goes off on his own where nobody else will go and starts churches. That is so not right. There are dozens and dozens of people mentioned in his letters. Who are along with him, traveling with him, yeah. walking together, probably joking together, for sure suffering together. And as they go along, uh, he learns to love them. And there's just so much about love in his letters. Now, he's very demanding as well <laughs> and very focused. And I don't know how those always go together, but they, they are together. I think there's only a couple places in his letters where he mentions being alone. And he seems pretty unhappy about those mm. in those moments. So I think you should think of Paul as a people person, but also a people person who's driven on a mission to actually get the gospel out where nobody else is willing to take it. Yeah, that was my word that that I, I wanted to share about Paul was drive. Is And you can just read mm. that through all of his letters as you're going through. Sure. If you think about this, this man who just feels compelled, just so driven to keep getting the word out, to, to keep helping his churches, and it— and to me, I'm glad you mentioned like a map of Paul's journeys because I think it helps to get that visualization of these maps that usually come in the back of Bibles of Paul's journeys because it helps to see that this man was on the move. He was going yeah. from place to place. He would he would get a group started or help a group re um, recommit to each other, and then he would keep moving on and he would delineate he would he, he he would help place other people kind of in charge of helping these people in this church and then he'd keep moving on and he was an encourager in doing so and and just really like almost like a football coach he would just like you can do it you got this i, I got you i gotta go help these people now i gotta help this part of the team but you guys can do this and if you kind of get that mindset around paul it just really brings his letters to life. That's right. Paul is a missionary before he is anything else. Yeah. Um, and you know what? 
his motivation for doing this is not just out of duty. Yeah. Okay. So he just has a sense that he needs to do this. But he says in Second Corinthians chapter five, he goes, the love of Christ controls us. Yeah. And if I can just nerd out for just a minute yeah. with you, Greek, Greek scholars wrestle with what does this love of Christ mean? Mm-hmm. Does it mean Christ's love for me has so impacted me that I do what I do? Or is it, I love Jesus so much, so I do what I do. <laughs> and there's some good reasons to think that there's some sort of relationship between those two. It's like Christ's love has so overtaken my heart and I've responded in love to him. It's sort of this whole love fest like drives me to do what I do. Yeah. So he was compelled by this relational love with Jesus, who he believed was actually there, who actually rose from the dead, who had met him on the Damascus Road. Mm. So he was driven by that, I think, more than anything else. To understand Paul, you have to understand that. I love it. The, let's then talk about some of the other epistle writers. We've mentioned them already, but it's worth yeah. re-mentioning them here. Peter, James, John, and Jude, as you mentioned. And then whoever yeah. did Hebrews, we acknowledge you too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next time, sign your letter. Um, what would be so so for so so for these other authors who again are are highly important wrote wonderful letters they don't usually get the same you know forefront a place on the stage as Paul does as we're talking about the later mm-hmm. New Testament but still what would be helpful to know about about these men as people um, as people read and navigate these letters. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a couple things that are interesting about them. One is that uh, Paul actually refers to them as, uh, he goes, those who are known as pillars. And he mentions Peter. Uh, he actually mentions James, Peter, and John, mm-hmm. who are those the three main ones that you've just mentioned besides Jude. And Hebrews is actually a different category in most of the early manuscripts anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. So it's, it's, it's like, one of my colleagues here, he's written a book called The Pillar Apostles. Oh, interesting. So it's about Peter, James, uh, John, and Jude. Hmm. So that's kind of an interesting thing about them. Here, I'll tell you something else that's really interesting, too. Did you know that in many of our New Testament manuscripts, the order does not have Paul's letters right after Acts? It actually has um, James, Hmm. Peter, John, and Jude, and then it picks up Paul's letters yeah. and then has Hebrews and then Revelation. So if you, they're they're kind of mixed sure. on uh, what order they've got them, but there's a few more like that. Mm. It would be interesting to think, what if our New Testament was ordered in that way? <laughs> would we actually put as much emphasis on Paul's letters because we'd be reading these other ones first? Sure. <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, these letters are a little bit different than Paul's letters, at least most of Paul's letters. And the Paul's letters are very situational. Mm-hmm. They are written into particular situations. Those other letters we're talking about here, the letters of uh, um, James, Peter, John, and Jude, are sometimes referred to as the Catholic epistles. Mm-hmm. Not Catholic in the sense of Roman Catholic, that's a later development in Christian history, but in the sense of being universal. That is, they're being written for large bodies of Christians out there. So that changes our reading strategy just a little bit. We're not having to sort out as much what is just for them and what's for us. Yeah. They are um, oftentimes 
uh, putting out things that are, are pretty easy to make the bridge into our day and age. I mean, anytime you read James, you'll just see thing after, th- I mean, it's hard to organize the letter, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, besides that, it's very easy to understand what he's trying to get at. Yeah. And First Peter, the same. There's some some trickiness in Second Peter and Jude, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and First John is very straightforward as well. We need to you know, focus on love and on truth and on the light and all those sorts of things. You had mentioned um, that it's a little bit easier in those Catholic epistles to sort out what's for them and what's for us. So now I get to ask you kind of the tough question of helping us to navigate how do we read what's for them and what's for us? Because there are there's a lot of directions, specifically in Paul's letters, uh, although, although we do see some in other letters, but there's a lot of direction, a lot of do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And so for mm-hmm. readers nowadays, it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to navigate, okay, I know this was a situational letter, and he's writing to people about a specific situation. So what am I supposed to take from this today? Is this is this for me? Is this a God-given, spirit-driven thing? Or is this, am I getting a peek into the cultural uh, context here? Can you help us to navigate how we should read this? Yeah, this is a really big topic, and I know it's too long for just the podcast today, <laughs> but I'll give you just a few things that might be helpful to That's you. Great. You need to realize that everything in the Bible is culturally bound to some degree. Mm-hmm. That means everything is written by a particular person. We're talking about New Testament letters. So a particular person in the first century who is Jewish, who is writing to people who are either Jewish or Gentile Christians or a mix of, um, of both in churches who have around them just very different things than we do. So we have to start with that. We can't just assume that this is being written to us straight up. Having said that, God inspired the Bible so that it would be written not just to them, but for us as well. So I would say that you actually ask the question, look for what is transcultural in the passage. And when I say transcultural, I mean it is true for all people at all times and all places and, you know, all situations, that kind of thing there. So you ask, what is transcultural? A lot of times people use the word principles at this point, look for transcultural principles. I prefer the word themes Mm -hmm. because themes keeps you a little closer to the Bible. So look for things that are themes. And the reason that helps also is because you don't find a theme by just going to one passage. You find a theme by actually comparing passages to one another. And that's perhaps the first kind of rule to help you know that it's transcultural. If it's just one verse that seems to say something, that's probably not a transcultural theme. It's got to be reinforced elsewhere in the Bible. Mm. It's what, what the people during the period of the Reformation called the analogy of Scripture, which basically means Scripture interprets Scripture. It keeps you from falling off the rails. So you can't have Scriptures com- you know, contradicting each other. So that keeps you on. If you see, if you think you see something that's transcultural in the passage, and it's been reinforced many other places, then you probably have something that's transcultural that'll help you. Um, there are some verses that are only for the moment. Mm-hmm. Jesus, 
for example, says to his disciples, have them sit down on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, he's not telling us to sit down on the grass. We have to sit on the grass for all of the rest of the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. He gets a vision at one point. Paul gets a vision at one point to come up to Macedonia. It doesn't mean that we all have to go up to Macedonia. It's for that moment. But, um, but there are many things that are transcultural. And one of the ways I said, was by comparing scriptures to scriptures. Another way is if in the passage somehow it's grounding it in the character of God, which is unchanging, then you have a good reason to think that it's that's transcultural. Yeah. Another thing, if it grounds it in the creation narrative, hmm. like it takes whatever it said and it grounds it in the creation narrative, like Jesus does when he talks about divorce. Yeah. And um, in Matthew chapter 19, he grounds it in the creation narrative saying, it wasn't this way from the beginning. God created them male and female. So a man shall leave his father and mother and shall leave yeah. to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That also can help you if you see something like that. Sometimes it gets grounded or so closely attached to the nature of the gospel that that also helps you to know that it's transcultural. Uh, so those are some of the things that you'll be looking for. Also, beware of not just... Uh, not just going for very general types of things like, you know, <laughs> be loving or do good, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, be as specific as the passage will allow you to do, especially if it's reinforced elsewhere in the Bible, which is the most important principle. Yeah. And I, I, I think I think to add my encouragement in this is don't be scared about what it is. Exactly. what the Bible is saying or might be saying. If you're confused and if you're wondering, is this is this a today thing or is this a a, a, a in-the-culture context thing, write your question down and talk about it with some people. If you, it's, don't just leave it or walk away from it and say, hmm, I guess I'll never know. Like, like it's important to, to take the time Write your questions down and pursue answers to those questions. And also keep in mind that God's not trying to trick you. God's not trying right. to confuse you with all this. He's not saying, ha ha, I got you confused again. He like he th this is his word to us. It's his part of the conversation with you. He's right. he, he will talk with you through it in, in prayer and with other people that he brings into your life. And as long as your heart is saying, God, I love you and I just want to love you the best way that I can, and I want to yeah. use your word to help me love you better, then God's yeah. going to honor that. And he, he's not going to mark off a demerits if, you, you know, if you're confused by something and therefore aren't doing everything mm -hmm. exactly as it, he's not going to say, oh, no, miss that, miss that, miss that. Like God's heart for you is just mm -hmm. pure love for you. And he's just, he's thrilled that you are engaging with him and wanting to know more about him and spending time in his word. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to help to help you um, understand a little bit better what it is that you're reading. So I just want to give that encouragement as well, is don't feel overwhelmed or bogged down or confused. That there are, there, there are ways to talk about it with other people. And that's what it is. It's kind of a launch pad to, to talk about it with the church in the 21st century and say, hey, so what do we do with this? <laughs> and then you can have right. a conversation. That's right. That's, that's such a good word. I received that too. Uh, you know, sometimes we get derailed because we see something that we really don't know what to do with in the Bible, and it comes up occasionally. 
And it causes us to forget that most of what we read is is pretty clear, actually. Yeah. If we're just good book readers, generally, <laughs> and some people, I have to grant, are not good book readers these days. <laughs> but if you're just a good book reader and you just pay attention to the verses that come before it, yeah. pay attention to the verses that come after it, try to remember some of the things that we've heard about the cultural, the culture and the time, yeah. and keep connecting it with the rest of the Bible, we'll actually do pretty well mm-hmm. with that. We don't need to worry about that. We can move forward. And I just want to reaffirm that anything that is necessary, if I can quote from Second Peter here, <laughs> since we just asked about Peter, everything that is needed for life and godliness is clear in the Bible. Hmm. It is. There is actually a doctrine that is discussed a lot called the clarity of Scripture. Yeah. Some of your theological books will call it the perspicuity of Scripture. You don't have to know that word to know about the doctrine, though. <laughs> The doctrine is that the Bible is clear in the primary things that it affirms. It does not mean that every single verse is equally as clear as every other verse, but it does mean that everything that you need to come into salvation, to actually come to know God and to be in a right relationship with Him, and everything that you need to live a godly life is clear in the Bible. I write a little bit about this in my little book, It's called Bible Revival, Recommitting Ourselves to One Book. That's actually a book on interpreting the Bible and on caring about the Bible, loving the Bible, too, Mm. if that would be helpful for you, chapter two of that book. Well, that's that's especially helpful, and I'm going to put a link to that book in the uh, show notes for this episode. So so make sure to check that out. So I, I, I wanted to wrap up our time then today by just kind of giving you space to talk about any sort of encouragement or advice maybe that we have or haven't talked about already. If we're talking about people, maybe they've never read the epistles or maybe they've made kind of a a new commitment to reading their Bible this year and they're getting to that place in the epistles. Maybe they started in the New Testament and they're working their way through. What is some advice or encouragement that you want to give to people who are entering into this section of their Bible? Um, So we've already talked about some of the most important things to be aware of, but I would encourage people just to read a lot, to not just to read a few verses and hope that it's going to, you know, um, take root, but, you know, at some point sit down and read all the way through 1 Corinthians. How long would it take to read through 1 Corinthians? About a half an hour, maybe? Depends on how fast you read. You could read the whole book. So read it and then read it again. If you have trouble, maybe if you have trouble staying focused, write down one thing that you see. Just one thing. It can be anything. It doesn't even have to be like super intelligent. It could just be, I saw this today and I thought this was interesting. This connected in this way. Or here's my question. You mentioned writing down questions about half of good interpretation is just asking good questions. Or even write a prayer about a verse that you see. It'll help to stay, keep you more focused. Uh, this is going to be countercultural, but <laughs> if you're really interested, you know, take a take a chapter that you really like and memorize it. Yeah, and it's not as hard to memorize as you think. You just have to read the thing out loud over and over again, maybe fifty times, and then just try to sit down and um, work your way through it, then you'll find it to be a lot easier to memorize after that. But start off by doing something like that. Sometimes when you don't understand something, just by going over it repeatedly, like 
reading it 50 times for memorization, things will become clearer and clearer as you go. So I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of on a on a kick to just try to help us yeah. together say, let's turn this tide of you know disengagement with the Bible and let's care about the scriptures. Let's become an age where people really start to read the Bible a lot again. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I'm I'm kind of off a little bit from interpretation at this point. It's just encouraging whoever's listening today, just be in the word, be reading it. And and eventually I think your heart will start to incline more in that direction too. You'll learn to love it more. You'll learn to see things in it that will impact your life as well. Well, I think what's cool about the epistles is there are so many there are so many verses that you know, even if you've never read the yeah. Bible. There are so many verses that you have heard, and uh, probably a majority of them come from the epistles in this section. So you're going to be reading through, you're going to read through Romans and just say, oh yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that. And then you get to Philippians, I know that, I know that. And Colossians and Ephesians, all these, yeah. all these books are just filled with verses that maybe you just never realized were in, this, in these books that you're about to get into. And so yeah. being able to see them in those contexts, it's, it's like if you hear all these great movie lines and you're like oh yeah i know that line and then you watch the movie and you say hey they said the line yeah. you know, is you get now the whole context of what the, what all the meaning was in that and mm-hmm. it's the it's a similar thing as you are reading through these epistles as you will see paul's and peter's and james and john's and Jesus' heart behind these words that you have heard so many times and used and seen on coffee mugs and t-shirts all over the place. And you'll see the reasons for these and you say, oh, like, okay, I can, I appreciate this in a new way now. And so when you're entering into this and you are, as we've talked about before, you are open to God saying, God, I'm excited for what it is that you, that you have for me in this time with you today. And you just see all of these words that still so resonate as true, all of these encouragements, all of these benedictions that are just coming your way, coming your way. It's, it, it, it just wants to, it, it, you're just going to want to keep going. And again, mm-hmm. and what's beautiful about these books, and I appreciate your encouragement to memorize, is these books are not very long. We're talking, you know, yeah. Romans is, is long, uh, but, yeah. but you get Philippians, you got four chapters. You have Galatians, you got yeah. six, you know, Ephesians. Is, so you got, these are shorter books and they're just like, it's like the greatest hits over and over, but you can see them yes. all in context. So I'm excited. If you've never read them before, I'm excited for what you're about to experience in this. Yeah, me too. So happy to hear that. <laughs> Such a good encouragement. Amen. <laughs> well, Ken, I want to thank you so much for your time. Again, I'll, I'll put the link to um, some uh, of, of Ken's work in the show notes below, including the book that he mentioned, Bible Revival. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for your time and for your heart for these letters and for God's word. It, it just really pours through. So I'm really grateful for you. Right. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure being with you. Now, Let's look at some next steps out of this conversation. First, look up some maps of Paul's journeys. I I was serious when I talked about that in the conversation. It's really fun and helpful to look at these maps, right? It, It helps to have this context in mind and to really see and think about Paul's drive for spreading the word around the world. Second, 
don't forget to write down your questions, right? Don't just skip over anything that is confusing. Write it down and seek out the answers to your questions, right? Talk with someone you trust about your questions and wrestle through together anything that you might find confusing. Third, I'll have some links in the show notes. Um, I'll include the link to Dr. Berding's book, Bible Revival, and I'll put links to some other resources as well for you to check out. I want to thank my guest from today's episode, Dr. Ken Berding. And uh, friends, this has been another episode of Doable Discipleship. We'll be back with you again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.